Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Columbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It is Friday. That's the good news, which is important because we have no good martinis today. Glad you're with us. Uh, we are sponsored today by Acre Gold, but we have bad, bad, and crazy martinis. Jim, we are going to be looking at a number of troubling stories today, certainly the first two, starting with the fact that social distancing may not be enough to get this under control. Washington Examiner, the Trump administration moving quickly to halt the spread of the coronavirus is seriously considering grounding all passenger air traffic for up to 30 days, temporarily halting stock trading on Wall Street, which will probably make a lot of people pretty happy, and imposing a shelter-in-place rule, according to officials. Key officials have begun alerting industry leaders, Capitol Hill, and agencies that the quote-unquote radical plan could come early next week if the warlike efforts to stop the spread of the virus fail. What's more, so that stocks don't tank further, the administration, under the plan being discussed, would stop trading on Wall Street when it grounds the U.S. passenger fleet. The Bush administration made similar moves after the 9-11 attacks. Sources also said the administration is seriously considering a shelter-in-place rule to keep the public from large gatherings. Some have continued to ignore previous warnings against gatherings in groups of 10. So, Jim, this is sobering in a number of ways. Number one, social distancing at this point, based on the fears of these officials, doesn't seem to be getting the job done, even if most people are acting fairly responsibly. And secondly, it tells us that this isn't getting wrapped up by Easter or probably any time in the next few weeks here. No, uh, it's funny you mentioned Easter, Greg, because as someone observed, this is just the lentiest Lent ever. (laughs) Um, Right before we began taping, Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York uh, said that New York is effectively the state, not just the city, is going into a lockdown. Only essential businesses can have commuting workers. He's asking New York residents to remain indoors to the greatest extent. uh, And 100% of non-essential workforce must stay home. We're going to close the valve. You know, through much of this process, we, we've had you know, certain leaders of, of certain localities and states where it, you know, earlier in the week we were talking about it seemed like a can you top this game? You know, that, oh, you're restricting this much of your, you know, of your uh, residents? Well, I'm going to restrict this much. You know. um, Cuomo has not seemed like someone who was eager to jump to the most draconian measures uh, possible, uh, particularly in contrast with de Blasio, who was talking about a shelter in place. Uh, type order. And uh, there's a part of me that even doesn't like that term, Greg, because sheltered in place is what they tell you to do if there's a tornado. Tornadoes come and tornadoes go. Sometimes they only last a couple of minutes. You know, the warning for a tornado is not going to last more than, you know, an hour or two hours, never more than a night. The idea of asking people to shelter in place and where they live for um, a a stretch of, uh, you know, weeks at a time, that's not that. That's that's a lockdown. That's the, you know, shelter in place is not the, really the right term there. Um, earlier this week, uh, Gavin Newsom has announced that basically they're doing the same thing for the entire state of California. This is getting really big and really scary. And my sense, as you know, we've been discussing kind of an emerging theme this week. Americans want to help. They will do as they are told if they believe it's going to help people. Uh, or at least most of us will. We saw that footage of the idiots on the beach earlier this week. Um, the, the more draconian these orders get, the more I think you're going to see people saying either, well, I got to go to work. I'm sorry, I can't do this any longer. I can't stay in the house all day. Um, you know, the, if the, the instruction to stay in the house is kind of unnerving because it indicates that, you know, I mean, how much risk are you if you're going around walking around, if you're practicing appropriate social distancing 
trying to keep six feet between yourself and someone who's not a member of your family. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it, 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 I'd like to think, oh, okay, this is just, you know, big government liberals overreacting or something like that. Look, they're probably not. Um, and the idea that the, what we've done so far hasn't done nearly enough to bend the curve is probably, you know, in our long history of our martinis, Greg, this might be the single most unnerving bad martini we've ever, we've ever discussed. Yeah, the, we'll see what uh, the government does here. But uh, I don't think that folks would be talking about this if they thought that uh, the 15 days of uh, 10 people gatherings or fewer was going to get the job done. But uh, hopefully the numbers change here in the next few days to uh, make that not necessary. Although given the curves that we see uh, with this virus, uh, that doesn't seem likely. So we'll see what happens here. In the meantime, let's talk about something a little happier anyway, that we're sponsored again today by Acre Gold. We're grateful for that. And obviously there's uncertainty in the markets lately. We just talked about the fact that they might be shutting down while the airline industry goes on a 30-day hiatus if the president goes down that road. But we still want to make you aware of something very timely, financially related, and that's why we're introducing Acre, the new subscription platform for gold. Acre lets you make small monthly payments and then sends gold straight to your doorstep every few months. Don't break the bank. Start buying gold for just $50 a month and watch your gold grow. Acre will keep you updated on your gold stash as you make progress. Once your gold stash reaches the price of a two and a half gram Acre gold bar, they will discreetly ship you your gold. Easy, safe, and secure. For more information, go to getacregold.com slash martini or by clicking the link in our show notes and start your Acre Gold subscription today. Make sure you go to our URL, though, because Acre is giving away a gold bar for the month of March. And to win, listeners can tweet why they should win and mention at get underscore Acre for a chance to win the free gold. For details, go to getacregold.com slash martini. That's G-E-T-A-C-R-E-G-O-L-D dot com slash martini. Look for the link in our listener notes. All right, Jim, you mentioned just a moment ago that uh, a lot of folks uh, making sacrifices, staying home as best they can, social distancing and so forth, people making real sacrifices and a lot of people unfortunately losing their jobs because of the effort to stop the spread of this virus. And we'll probably be talking about that in days to come as well. But up on Capitol Hill, there's a few people getting in a whole lot of trouble for thinking of perhaps their bottom line before a lot of other things. Uh, This is NBC News Washington. Four U.S. senators sold off millions of dollars in stocks just before the market dropped in February amid fears about the coronavirus pandemic, according to Senate records and experts. Senate Intelligence Committee Chairman Richard Burr of North Carolina and Senators Kelly Loeffler of Georgia, James Inhofe, Oklahoma, and Dianne Feinstein, California, all sold major holdings as early as January as senators began to get non-public information about the growing coronavirus outbreak. Loeffler... Inhofe and Feinstein are also on the Intelligence Committee and, according to Senate aides, received a number of briefings and intelligence reports in January and February. The intelligence remains classified, and it's not clear what warnings the senators were given and exactly when. So, Jim, the uh, the two people getting the most uh, scrutiny over this are Burr and Leffler. Leffler says, uh, look, all my stuff was in a blind holding. I didn't make those uh, transactions. They happened weeks after the briefing. However, when it comes to Burr, Uh, His statement is not winning over many people. He says, I relied solely on public news reports to guide my decision regarding the sale of stocks on February 13th. Specifically, I closely followed CNBC's daily health and science reporting out of its Asia bureaus at the time. 
understanding the assumption many could make. In hindsight, however, I spoke this morning with the chairman of the Senate Ethics Committee and asked him to open a complete review of the matter with full transparency. So, Jim, there's already a ton of people uh, urging Senator Burr to resign. There are some reports that Trump wants him to. Obviously, his handling of the Russia probe did not make him a favorite, probably in the eyes of the president. Others are wondering whether this will uh, doom Kelly Loeffler's chance of actually being elected to the Senate. What do you see here? Sure. Um, it looks like, first of all, it, it's unfortunate for Loeffler that they're being thrown together because um, she seems to have a somewhat more solid uh, explanation or defense here. Um, she, you know, she says investment decisions are made by multiple third party advisors without my or my husband's knowledge or involvement. Uh, we're going to, you know, that's going to, that, that's, that's going to get a lot of scrutiny. Um, but as she does have, you know, with her uh, reports filed, with the Senate ethics committee as part of, by the way, this is not as part of an investigation. This is part of the standard thing that happens every time a member of the Senate, uh, you know, makes any type of tra- you know, trade of stock of, or sale or, or purchase of things like that. Uh, she was informed of the purchase and sales on February 16th, 2020, three weeks after they were made. That would put it the decision in late January, uh, and the decisions were a little more um, uh, understandable. By the way, we were also seeing other senators' names getting tossed in here, uh, including Diane Feinstein. And Greg, like you, I would really enjoy you know knocking around Diane Feinstein as much as anybody else. <laughs> it appears they were taking a loss on these sales, uh, and this was part of him trying to extricate himself out of a deal that have been going on for quite some time. So not every stock transaction that took place in this time period is automatically a sign um, of something corrupt or something unacceptable going on. What I think the two things that jumped out to me late last night and this morning were first the statement from Burt's spokesman that said, yes, all of these transactions occurred before the tumultuousness in the stock market. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the point. That's what makes it so concerning is that the senator had information that made him say, oh, wow, the markets are going to get rocked by this. I want to, share, I want to sell my shares, particularly my shares in chains of hotels, uh, which were among the decisions that he made. Uh, this is, you know, again, can we prove with 100% certainty that this was done with the corrupt purposes or based on insider information? No, I am sure the Senate Ethics Committee will be really scrutinizing what was going on to those uh, CNBC reports. But I think the bigger question is like, Burr has the separate question of him speaking to the uh, North Carolina State Society. Uh, apparently, some members of the society said they were not invited to this. He was speaking to a small group and he sounded very, very concerned about the, uh, the Wuhan virus, the coronavirus uh, at that time. You know, and his public comments were, we are well prepared, we are well prepared. Well, I think a lot of people would say America is not as well prepared as we thought we were, as we hoped we were going to be for this pandemic. And you kind of wonder if he was giving one message to one group of people and another message to the broader public. Um, Burr is really in in deep doo-doo here. We will, you know, I'm glad the Senate Ethics Committee is investigating. There are a bunch of times where both the House and Senate Ethics Committee have investigated. The investigations go on for a really long time. The allegations fall out of the headlines. And then the Ethics Committee comes out with some sort of, you know, on the one hand, on the other hand, mealy-mouthed, you know, tiss-tiss, 50 lashes with a wet noodle type response. I don't think that will fly in this particular set of circumstances. I think they need to get working on this fast, except it probably is tougher to do these sorts of investigations if you have to practice social distancing. Um, That having been said, as I wrote in today's Morning Jolt, you know, this is a time where we really need honesty from our leaders. And honesty, like in a, even if it's unnerving, even if it's frightening, even if it's, you know, bad. If, a, if, a, if a, one of our elected leaders or one of our health experts doesn't know the answer to a question, tell us you don't know. It's okay. 
we don't expect everyone to know everything. We are dealing with something kind of unprecedented or unprecedented in a really long time. Uh, if this is on par with the Spanish flu of 1918, God, I hope that's not the case. And I've heard some people saying that's an, you know, a wild overreaction to this. But if it isn't, well, that might explain what we're seeing in Italy. It might explain what we're seeing in some parts of the world. And it might explain why I have to take all these really drastic actions. If this is a once in a century event, then okay, let it, you know, we better for us to know that and be ready heading into this than to be constantly being led up. Oh, this is just, you know, a, a, a little issue. We'll get through it. Don't worry. It's not that bad. You know, it's better to be honest and kind of scary than to be dishonest and for people to find out later that you're, you weren't being straight with them. Um, the moment people find out that go, government authorities are putting out inaccurate information, that's when they can come to one of two conclusions, both of which are bad. Conclusion one is the people in charge don't know what they're talking about and that they, you know, are just they're, they're, They don't have a handle on it. They're not seeing it clearly. And it's much, you know, or the other one is that, well, they're afraid of a panic and thus they're lying to us. And thus the situation is much worse than they're saying. I can't trust what they're saying. And thus I have to assume it's the worst case scenario. And that's where you get panic and hoarding and, and maybe even, you know, riots and, and all that kind of stuff. So be honest with people and certainly the anecdotes of Burr having one message to a private group and then another message to the broader public really undermines public faith in leaders at a time like this. No, it, it certainly does. And obviously the biggest issue here is uh, serving honorably and obviously doing what you can to actually uh, help to deal with the coronavirus. But Jim, I know uh, your mind works in political ways as mine does. And so I see all these uh, people demanding that Richard Burr resign. And my first thought is, Oh, boy, they've got a Democratic governor. But I looked it up, and in North Carolina, the law says you have to replace the resigned senator with someone from the same party, which means Governor Roy Cooper will probably pick the worst possible Republican uh, to, uh, to replace Burr if it comes to that. But uh, if anyone's wondering whether this is an effort to get a Democrat pick up in North Carolina, that would not be the case. Yeah, also, I believe Burr is retiring after this term. So... Uh, it's not like he's going to face re-election, um, you know, with this sort of thing hanging over him. Look, let's have the investigation. I, I suppose it's possible there's some sort of innocent explanation for these particular trades. This is why most lawmakers put their their available finances into a blind trust. Kelly Loeffler can say, "Look, I didn't I didn't make these decisions, right? People whose job were to look over this these my investments made these decisions for me." Now, the next question that gets raised by that, is there anything she said or wrote or uh, communicated with them in any way, shape, or form to indicate that the coronavirus was coming and it was going to be bad for markets? Did she say it to her husband, who I, my understanding is works in the finance industry? You know, was there any way, was there any path of information for her to be getting briefings on the Hill? And by the way, like I was hearing you know, through the grapevine, wow, these, these briefings on the Hill from the CDC about the Wuhan virus. Because it was safe to call it the Wuhan virus back then. Um, they, they, they was like, wow, it really are scary. And I'd ask these people, oh, really? What are you hearing specifically? And I never got any specifics. Um, but, you know, there were rumors that this was, you know, looking pretty bad if it was going to come to the United States. And so apparently, yeah, apparently they really were bad. Apparently bad enough to make senators making investment choices. Hey, was that really the most important thing for you to be thinking about at a time like that if you're a U.S. senator? I don't think so. Probably not. But as I'm thinking about this and thinking of our first martini, Jim, if you do want to game the stock market a little bit, if you're President Trump, uh, lie low and then announce on Sunday that you're doing it so you don't give the market uh, Monday and Tuesday <laughs> to go into full tank mode before you actually bring it to a halt. But It's uh, the first rule of politics. If you have bad news, drop it at, you know, 445 on Friday afternoon. Yes, yes. Right? The half, the, half the news force is already at the bars. And, you know, Saturday papers are the least read papers of the day. 
maybe they're discussing it by Sunday morning, but there's always a chance it gets overtaken. You know, like there are all kinds, like all kinds of PR professional things. If you have to get, you know, by the way, if you're a corporation and you had somebody, you, your executive had a me too issue. This is a great time to put that news out. No, nobody's paying attention to any other issue right now. Um, so it's kind of strange. I'm sure the president believes that every time he speaks, the stock market feels reassured. Uh, there are days we've seen that, you know, the stock market go up when he's speaking. And there are days we've seen the stock market go down when he's speaking. I think the stock market doesn't simply, you know, react to presidential speeches. There are a variety of other factors. And oh, by the way, the oil price war going on between OPEC and Russia has not stopped uh, in the middle of all this kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I think trying to game the markets is probably a fool's errand in a lot of cases, particularly if you're an elected leader. But uh, again, you know, if you didn't want to put the public's interest ahead of your own, why did you run for office? Hey, you know, Richard Burr replaced John Edwards in the United States Senate. He won in uh, 2004 when Edwards that, decided to run for- cursed or something? <laughs> it's like when uh, Kirsten Gillibrand couldn't hold a position for more than 30 seconds. And she, of course, replaced Hillary Clinton. And we're like, why can't you people just be consistent on anything? But uh, maybe there is something to it, Jim. I don't know. All right. Let's move on to our crazy martini now. And... Uh, Jim, this kind of is, uh, like, like we said a moment ago, uh, the, the previous discussion kind of teased it up. Well, New Hampshire, of course, has the wonderful motto, live free or die. We wonder sometimes when we see people like Bernie Sanders win back-to-back Democratic primaries there, whether that's really the case. But uh, it's, it's uh, showing up today. This is the Associated Press. Three people who plan to attend political and religious events in the next few weeks are challenging New Hampshire's statewide emergency ban on gatherings of 50 people or more to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. David Binford, Eric Couture, and Holly Ray Bean filed a lawsuit Tuesday, the day after Republican Governor Chris Sununu issued the order prohibiting large scheduled gatherings for social, spiritual, and recreational activities. They argue there is no emergency and that the governor is violating their constitutional rights. They say, quote, we can choose to assemble if that is our desire. What cannot occur is one man in a position of power deciding to strip us of our rights in the name of safety and without due process. So Jim, this goes back to our discussion, as you mentioned earlier, on uh, who's going to put in the most draconian restrictions. Uh, And there are laws on the books, especially in states of emergency, where people can do this. The larger debate, particularly from a libertarian standpoint, is should they have that power? And I guess this is headed to court and we'll get an answer. Assuming, of course, that the courts can meet. But yes, (laughs) this this is why you resist making these kinds of moves until you have to. Uh, and, you know, kind of an obvious philosophy in life when you have to, well, then you have to, <laughs> you know, that, that you know, if you push it off until the moment it becomes an you know, unavoidable step, then you at least can say you, you did not rush into uh, a, a expression of state power that was unacceptable to uh, the, the public at large. I think if you have, you know, I mean, when Bill de Blasio, said, obviously, the threat of the coronavirus indicates it's time for us to start nationalizing major industries. But at the same time, he wasn't yet ready to declare New York City schools should close. That demonstrated Bill de Blasio is a fundamentally unserious man. Um, When he insisted everyone should stay out of public places, but he took one last workout in his YMCA gym with security, reserved all for him. And then he said it might be time for a lockdown in the city. He demonstrated once again, he's a fundamentally unserious leader. Fundamentally unserious leaders are going to undermine all of the serious leaders who are looking at these facts and saying, holy smokes, or maybe some other expletive, we're going to have to do this. Otherwise, a whole bunch of people are going to die. 
And look, I, you know, you're, it's very tough not to agree. You know, as I said earlier in the week, I was saying you have to have a heart of stone and not sympathize with all the business owners who are like, hey, I, I run on flipping burgers, right? My, I'm, I need hungry people coming into my restaurant to eat my food and pay me for it. That's the only way I make rent. That's the only way I put food on the table for my own family. That's the only way we keep going. When you say you can only do delivery and takeout, that's not going to be enough income and I'm going to lose my business. I'm going to lose everything. You know, government has to take that into account. I, I want to, you know, we all want to save as many lives as possible, but there's a question of just how much economic squeeze you can put on people. And the good news up until now has been that almost all of these quarantines, almost all of these talks of curfews and such have been effectively voluntarily. Even in Hoboken, where they said they were throwing in a, a curfew, it was basically done after people were still out at the bars and hanging out in the streets uh, well into the night last, last weekend. The attitude is like, look, we're, this is not really about police powers, people throwing people in jail, because the last thing we want to do during quarantine is throw lots of people into an enclosed space. If you're walking your dog, they're not going to give you too much grief. If you're going out for a jog in the middle of the day and you're keeping distance from people, they're not going to give you grief. We all kind of need like, we, we need an outbreak of common sense, Greg. <laughs> and my fear is that there are enough people in power who are little Napoleons who now see this as their chance to take absolute control over the rest of their, uh, over everyone around them that they will do things like this. The original outbreak of libertarianism was in New Hampshire. I, I can understand where they're coming from. And this, uh, I, this seems premature, but that doesn't mean that, you know, we're not going to need this at some point. I really think Americans are only going to honor this for a couple of weeks. And then after a point, people are gonna be like, hey, I need to go to work. I need to, you know, we, we can only remain in lockdown like there's an active shooter in our lives for so long. And, uh, you know, I, I hope leaders are contemplating this seriously. You're starting to see this from places like the Wall Street Journal editorial board. We can only commit economic suicide for so long. And that's effectively what we're doing. I wrote in today's morning jolt. I think it was Delaney who said 40% of the American economy is now shut down. I don't know if that percentage wow. is exactly right, but you add up the hotels, the restaurants, the theme parks, the sports events, the airplanes, resorts, concerts, uh, you know, every conceivable gathering you know, of people. That's what we're doing. And so the question is, how much can you keep America going under circumstances like this? Not very long. So anyway, there's a huge question before all of our uh, decision makers right now. I know they're trying to save lives as best they can. I want to back them as much as I can. But I think the libertarians are a voice that really can't be ignored at a moment like this. Jim, I'm just stuck on your idea of a common sense outbreak that would completely yeah. go around I'm the world. Trying to isolate the strain. <laughs> How wonderful would that be? Wow. We could use a lot of it on Capitol Hill and beyond. But uh, Jim, I know it seems like about a year ago, it was... Uh, exactly a week and one day ago that they started canceling all the sports stuff. This would normally be day two of the first round of the NCAA tournament, which is of course one of the most joyous sports times of the year. Uh, but we've made it through the week, which uh, is an achievement in and of its own. We'll see where things stand on Monday. Have a good weekend. We'll see you then. Greg, I'll talk to you Monday. This week has been a long decade. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks very much for being with us today. Don't forget our friends over at Acre Gold. Go to get acregold.com slash martini and actually uh, sign up and tweet and possibly win some gold. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a kind review. All you have to say is play three martini lunch podcast and you'll get us on those great home devices. Stay safe, everyone. Have a great weekend and be back with us Monday, please on the three martini lunch.